just making it back this afternoon. We'll get started with a word of prayer. Just things everyone kind of gets gets settled in here. And um, so if you will, bow with me and we'll have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. And Father, we thank you for all your many wonderful blessings. And Father, we especially thank you for the opportunity to be here again this afternoon to begin fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ and more importantly to hear another message from your word, Father. Father, we pray tonight that that our song service and our our devotional or our, our message that everything that we do we pray will be will honor you and and will be pleasing to your sight, Father. Father, we we thank you so much for for our leadership and we thank you for Josh and we thank you for all of our song leaders and Father, we thank you for everyone in our congregation. We know everyone has a specific different job and, and we appreciate everyone working together to serve you, Father. Father, we ask you to be with those of our number who are not able to be here tonight. Father, we ask that you will watch over them and bless them wherever they may be. Keep them in your care and turn them to us, Father. Father, now as we begin our service, we, we pray that you'll You'll be with us and guide us, and Father, um, thank you so much for Jesus, and it's his name that we pray, amen. Good evening. Good mark in your psalm books, number 308 is our song of encouragement tonight. 308, kneel at the cross. <clears throat> After you mark that page, turn to number 485. 485, sweet hour of prayer. <clears throat> sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my father's throne make all my wants and wishes known in seasons of distress and grief my soul has often found relief and oft escape the tempter's snare by thy return sweet hour of prayer sweet hour of prayer sweet hour of prayer the joys i feel the bliss i share of those whose anxious spirits burn with strong desire. 
Once he bids me seek his face, believe his word and trust his grace, I'll cast on him my every care and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. If you would now turn to number 249, 249. Hold to God's unchanging hand. <coughs> Time is filled with sweet transition. Not of earth a move can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Trust in him who will not leave you. Whatsoever years may bring, if my earthly friends forsaken, still more closely to him cling. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. When your journey is completed, if to God you have been true, fair and bright the home in glory, so serve you. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Psalm before the lesson is 603, 603, walking alone at ease. <clears throat> walking alone at even, viewing the skies afar, bidding the darkness come to welcome each silver star. I have a great delight in the wonderful scenes above. God in his power and might is showing his truth and love. Oh, for a home with God, a place in his courts to rest. Sure and a safe abode with Jesus and the blessed. Rest for a weary soul, once redeemed by the Savior's love. Where I'll be pure and whole, and 
live with my God above, sitting alone at eve and dreaming the hours away, watching the shadows falling now at the close of day. God in his mercy comes with his word is drawing near, spreading his love and truth around me and everywhere. Oh, for a home of God, a place in his courts to rest, sure and a safe abode with Jesus and the blessed. Rest for a weary soul, once redeemed by the Savior's love. I'll be pure and whole and live with my God above. Closing my eyes at eve and thinking of heaven's grace. Longing to see my Lord, yes, meeting him face to face. Trusting him as my all, wheresoever my footsteps roam. Pleading with him to guide me onto the Spirit's home. Oh, for a home with God, a place in these courts to rest. Sure in a safe abode with Jesus and the blessed. Rest for a weary soul, once redeemed by the Savior's love. Where I'll be pure and whole, and live with my God above. I want to wish again a happy Mother's Day to all our ladies, to all our mothers who are present. You know, after I said what I said this morning about spiritual grandmothers, I started thinking later about some of mine and that are no longer around and some that are. And, you know, there's times when some of our uh, grandmothers in the church, and I'm, is that a new concept to you guys, being a grandmother for somebody else that's not necessarily blood in the church? I, I've had a lot of figures like that in my life growing up in the church, and I thought of one or two who gave me a nod on the head growing up as well. I mean... Is that kind of thing, and I was certainly blessed to have them in my life, and owe them a great deal for how I've turned out. Could have could have turned out better for sure. Another knot or two wouldn't have hurt. This evening we're going to be in the book of Luke in chapter five. If you want to look there with me, book of Luke chapter five, the first eleven verses is what we'll be looking at. Beulah and and David and I and Tony were kind of chatting beforehand about fishing and. It's, it's coincidental and funny that we're going to look at a fishing story here in Luke chapter 5. And at this point here in Jesus' ministry, he's just started. He has just announced his ministry. He has gone and clean, uh, cleansed a man of a demon. He's been healing people. And if you look there, actually, verse 42 of chapter 4, right before we begin in chapter 5, he says, And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. This is typically what Jesus does when he goes off to pray. He goes to a desolate place. He goes by himself. The book of Luke, as I've said before, is the, is the gospel that really highlights Jesus' uh, prayer life a whole lot more than the others. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. And that's a pretty good thing to think about for Jesus if you're in his shoes because what happened at his hometown when he announced his ministry and why he's here, the things that he's going to do, 
they tried to throw him right off a cliff. <laughs> you would have thought this would have been an exciting time, and at first it was an exciting time until they understood that he's here for not just the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well, not just for the healthy, but for the sick that really need him. And so being upset at that and a couple other things, that caused that. And now you have them really tempting him, really wanting him to stick around and stay around. You think it's perhaps tempting to stay around where he's loved and keep doing the things that he's doing and just be worshipped and praised by the people there? I think it is. I think he is tempted. But remembering his purpose, verse 43, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And now we're going to see him start to call some of his initial disciples, such as Peter, who will later be an apostle, as well as James and John. He says in chapter 5, verse 1, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. And you know, all these people, as he's still going on, preaching the word, proclaiming the word, they're pressing in on him to hear the word more and more and more. They realize two things. One, I have a need to hear more of the word. And I'd say that that's partially wisdom, right? Wisdom says, I need to hear more from God or a godly message. And so in this case, they realize as well exactly what he's offering. And it's a word from God that it's a message from him. And so they're seeking to know that. And a question that comes to my mind is, what do people expect to hear from you? What do people typically go to you for, perhaps? And if you're around people or what the people that are around you, what is it they expect to hear from you and see from you? I would hope that it's the word of God. I would hope that in some way, of course, you don't have to be rattling off scriptures, boom, 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 right? But I would hope that in the person of you, they seek you for something that the world can't offer, perhaps, that you can point them in the right direction. Verse 2, he says, And he sat by two boats on the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. <laughs> Notice they're not washing fish. They're washing their nets. They haven't caught a thing, as we'll find out here in a minute. Verse 3, Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Peter's, He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) I always thought, man, that would be something. I've tried standing on a very small John boat before. It doesn't go very well when you're reeling and casting and and setting the hook, you know. But And especially, I guess, with my preaching style, me wandering back and forth, that may not work out very well. But here, yeah, is it the first day of the week? Not that we know of. Yet Jesus is out heralding the message with the, boat as, with the boat as the pulpit, perhaps. That's what it means to preach. That's what the word means to herald, quite literally. The word karuks. Heralding the message for a king the way that the king gave the message. And that's what Jesus is doing here as also that authoritative figure. But you know, you don't even need a pulpit to do that. You don't need to just be given a speech to do that. We saw this morning Noah being called in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 5, a herald of righteousness. And he was a herald of righteousness, a proclaimer of righteousness with the way that he lived his life as opposed to the sinful world. You don't need a pulpit. You don't need to get a 10-minute slot somewhere, 20-minute slot to give some kind of speech. You don't have to have those things to be a herald of righteousness. But we see Jesus here preaching from the boat, teaching from the boat. Verse 4, he says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon 
Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And, well, let's get the context. Verse 5, he says, And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. So here comes carpenter, son of a carpenter, someone that's been around. He's a good teacher. He's, he's a good guy, right? That's what we know for sure about Jesus up to this point. He's done some impressive things, some miraculous things. He is a powerful proclaimer. But you fished all night, and not just for a hobby. <laughs> you fished all night for a livelihood, and you caught nothing. I mean, you're pretty bummed out when you go fishing for a hobby and you catch nothing as well. Uh, it's hot, perhaps, and you, and you wasted the day, it feels like, but they wasted a whole night. What would a fisherman's response to a carpenter be here? What do you think it would be? Not necessarily, yeah, sure, I'm sure you know what you're talking about, but it would probably be more of one of, you don't know what you're talking about. We do this for a living. This is our job. We, we know, who are you to tell us to do this? But he says here to put out into the deeper water, you know, some people will speculate and say, you know, this, this required more trust because uh, in, in these days the deeper water was thought to contain evil spirits, things like that. Okay, you, you could make that point. But the point I'm going to make is the fact that he says to put out, come into the deeper water. And he's asking him to trust him there. We, this past week, week ago, Got Eleanor, went to the dollar store, started heating up, as you guys know very well. It's getting kind of hot, kind of muggy outside. Went and got Ellie one of those small plastic pools, you know, 12 bucks at, at Dollar General, and she loves it. In fact, she'd kick and scream whenever we have to pull her out when she's pruny to the point that her, her feet are purple. <laughs> and so she loves it. Well, yesterday we made the mistake of going to Walmart the day before Mother's Day. I don't recommend it. And, of course, it was a madhouse, and we see some other little pool that we could perhaps enjoy with her as well, a little bit bigger one, inflatable one. And, and I thought it was a good way to get her to learn to, to swim a little bit more at this stage. We started with the small pool, the shallow one, the real small one. So then we upgraded to a little bit bigger one, not that much deeper, but more room to, to wade around and more water to deal with, learning to deal with what's there. And eventually, you know, we'll go to a family member's house that has a big pool that has the deep end and the shallow end. And, of course, what do you tell your kids, right, when they're really learning to swim? Stay where? The shallow end. Stay here. This is where you need to begin to learn. But eventually, what's going to happen? We're going to tell them, go out to the deep a little bit more. Get, get a little further out there. You've covered the basics. You've, you've come a long way. I'm still there to help you in the deep end. I'm not just going to throw you in. <laughs> but I'm still there to help you. And I think Jesus is telling us that from time to time as well. This, this trust on him. You start out at a shallow point, but then you work your way out to the deeper waters. In Hebrews chapter 13, actually one of our songs that Lee just led had this verse tied to it. Um, I can't remember which song it was, but I noticed it. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, he says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, verse 6, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? There are instances when Jesus is asking us, when God is asking us, step out a little bit further. Put out into the deep. Trust me more than yourself. I've got to work to a place where I can get to deeper water and not drown because someday I might accidentally find myself in deeper water unintentionally. And I want to be able to wade. I want to be able to keep my head afloat. But I need to be trusting in God. And either way, I need to prepare to get there. 
Simon, James, and John who are here, they could have said, Jesus, we've heard of the great things that you've done. You've said some great things, but you don't, don't you know that we are the professionals here, right? That's what common sense would say. We're the professionals here. Just, just listen to us. We've tried all night. We're done. We're tired. We've, we've already cleaned our nets. We've already called it good. But you know, the point that I see here is if we don't listen to Jesus, what we are saying is that we know better. When we don't obey, what we're saying is I'm good without him. I can handle it on my own. I can take care of this myself. We're the professionals. And we don't need to be saying that, obviously, when we put it into those terms. But what is it that they say, verse 5? Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. And I circled and underlined this right here. But at your word. I like that. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Peter's response, instead of the, the common sense, we're the professionals, right, is a mark of a true disciple. That's what I would categorize this as. A true disciple will say, but at your word. When you and I try it out of our own way, out of our own pride, and we don't know how to do it, we, we tend to fail when we're too concerned with self. And we might be working hard, and we might not see any results if we are doing things right for God, if we are stepping out the ways that we need to. I'm not seeing the, the results that I thought I would right off the bat. But when God says, keep going, how do we respond? We don't just try, fail, and quit, right? Failure or fear of failure has actually stopped more Christians from growing than failure itself. Failure is a learning opportunity. But being scared to fail, that stopped way more people from growing as they should. Just because we're scared to mess up, we're scared to fail. Uh, if we were here, or it, we don't have enough time for the time that we're here to tell you all the ways that I have failed, all the mistakes that I have made, and I know many of y'all are the same way, but I'm not living in that. I'm not staying in that. I got my eyes on Jesus. I got to work towards something better. You got to be like Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, God had called him through the burning bush to go to the Israelites, right? Go to Pharaoh to save the Israelites, bring them out, work to bring them out. And what does he say? He argues back a couple times, right? And one of his arguments was, I already tried to help them. And then they turned on me. So why should I do it again? He argued this and argued this, but the right response is, but at your word. God says, try again. Sometimes we have to fight against what the world calls common sense to follow God. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Hold your place here. But look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Here in a moment, I would like to single out one of you gentlemen that has a King James Version to read this verse after me. But let me read it first. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Would one of you gentlemen with a King James read verse 21 for us? First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.21. Larry, do you have it? Well, that'll work probably. Well, I like that better than the King James. Because typically what's said in the King James, and maybe in the ASV, I'm not entirely sure, is the foolishness of preaching. And that's the wrong translation. There might be another version that you are holding that says that, the foolishness of preaching. 
or the folly of preaching, but that's wrong. He's not talking about the act of preaching. Here what he's talking about is the message preached. Not that the message being preached is foolish. He's saying to the world, the message is folly, is foolishness. But it is, in fact, as he says here, the wisdom of God. God sees things different than the world's going to see it, obviously, right? And so to say common sense this and common sense that would say we can't always rely on common sense when it comes to Christianity because godly wisdom is different than earthly wisdom. We have a different perspective that we're supposed to have from time to time. And so God has always worked and operated in a different way than perhaps our own inclinations might be from time to time of what we think makes sense, of what we think is right. But God says, look at it through my perspective. Look at it through real wisdom's perspective. I'm back over in Luke chapter 5 now. Peter says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. That's what a faithful disciple says. Against what I think, against what I want, but okay, God. You think Peter, after a whole night of fishing, (laughs) wanted to throw down the nets again? Probably not. But he's trusting here, verse 6, and it's going to pay off, verse 6 and 7. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Both boats began to sink. This is remarkable, right? One might say miraculous, perhaps. Boy, if, we, if any of us men in here did this, y'all would never hear the end of it. <laughs> We'd be telling this story forever. Talk about a fish story, right? This is it. You think that they expected much to happen? No, probably not. You know, sometimes as Christians, we don't necessarily expect much to happen either. Sometimes we do what we know to do as right as Christians, and we get in the habit of doing it, and that's good. But don't forget to look for the way that God might be working as well, not just in you. But don't forget to look how God might be working through your brother and sister, through a congregation, through churches around the world, through how he might be working uh, through people that do not claim to be his in the world. And in this instance when we're doing that, sometimes, or when we're not doing it, sometimes I'm caught off guard. I don't know if you've ever been, but sometimes I'm caught off guard with something that God might do through a person or growing a person. For example, I love seeing someone, seeing a person mature and grow as a Christian. Maybe it comes out in something that they say. Maybe it comes out in something that they do. But witnessing and thinking, boy, where did that come from? You ever said that before? said it especially with, with Ellie growing up, watching her so closely. I know you all have done it with kids. They do something new. Where'd that come from? Because <laughs> they're growing, because they're developing. I think of Paul when he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20. There are things that we don't boast about. We're not prideful about. And it's self that we're not prideful in. But we can boast and be prideful in what God is doing and what others are growing in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And in that book, he's, that letter, he's already talked about how he looks upon the Thessalonians affectionately as a father would look on his spiritual children. And watching them grow, watching them develop, looking on them with love and affection. Do we do that with one another here? 
And, of course, that's a rhetorical question because we should be, right? And I hope that we are. I hope that you are looking for the growth in others, not just in our own selves. Like, when am I going to get my growth, right? When am I going to get what I'm working towards? But seeing, okay, who else is growing or perhaps who needs help with growing? You know, it's the same way that God looks on you with affection, with excitement when you grow like a good father would. And it should be the same way with each of us looking at one another. We should be looking at at the growth that's taking place, cheering it on, not in our own ability to instruct others to grow, but in the fact that Christ is growing them. Verse 8 of Luke chapter 5. He says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And why did he do that? Jesus didn't just get done preaching a hellfire brimstone sermon and then he fell down, right? He saw this miraculous thing, this unbelievable tale of all the fish that we caught that's sinking two boats. He saw this good thing, this amazing thing, and realized this can only be from God in some way, shape, or form. He saw only something amazing, nothing necessarily fearful or threatening here, except the realization that this is no mere man, but he himself was. And he knew that sin did not belong in the presence of holy. I touched on it a little bit this morning, but when we're out to convert people in the world, how much time do we harp on the death, suffering, sin, and hell uh, sermons versus uh, grace, life, and joy, and goodness of God? I'm not saying that the negative quote stuff isn't necessary, because it is. And there is a time and place for both, and there is harmony in both. But I'll tell you how the world is going right now. The only message that the world is hearing from anyone and everyone and every outlet, it's all negative, right? Y'all know it. Y'all hear it all the time. Pick up a newspaper, turn on the news, or anything like that. There's just some kind of overarching negativity, Wouldn't it be great if we stood out with an overly positive message as Christians? Wouldn't it be great if we were singing the praises of God? And yes, we do need to talk about His wrath and judgment, absolutely. But boy, if we could sing those praises louder and louder, I wonder who might hear. And perhaps that would shift our own perspective of being a Christian from, I've got to do this or I'm going to go to hell, to instead, I want to know God, I want to live better for Him, and I want people to understand His transformational power. From being lost to being found, from being an outcast to being grafted into the family of God, and from being a disgusting sinner to a joyous example of God's redemptive work. If you really want to reach people nowadays, and you really want people to know that we care about where they spend eternity, then we need to let them know also about the all-powerful God who loves them and works to get them saved. When they see the goodness of God, they'll connect two and two and realize they ain't, if they really see. They'll realize that their life needs to change to get into the goodness of our good God. He goes on, verse 9 and 10. For he and all who were with him were astonished. And I think that word astonished means that they're a whole lot more fearful because here in a second he'll tell them, don't be afraid. They weren't just like, oh, wow, hey, that was cool. <laughs> they were thinking, oh, no, oh, wow, what, what is taking place? Their minds are racing. They're astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. There's three future apostles. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. That's a pretty good phrase, right? That's one perhaps a lot of people have done a lot of sermons on. I'm not going to spend too much time on it because I think we, we get the message. But I will say these short things. 
When it comes to catching men, it's just like catching fish. You got to go where the fish are. <laughs> and you got to cast a big net. I'm talking evangelistically here. You got to cast a big net. You got to switch baits. You got to see what works. And if something's not working, then perhaps you stop that for a while and give it time and, and revisit it later. But then you switch it up and you see what works, and then you keep using what works. Y'all know how to fish. <laughs> Y'all know what it's like. And then once that's done, you go fishing again, right? Because once we have a good day of fishing, what do we say? Oh, I can't wait to go back, right? Can't wait to do this again. Jesus is asking, perhaps, are you ready to go fishing again? Perhaps we've toiled before night and day and don't have a whole lot to show for it. And Jesus saying, you'll be catching men. Put down the nets one more time. Put down the nets one more time. Are you going to say, I've tried this, I've done this, I'm giving up? Or are you going to say, but at your word, and then obey? Verse 11 to close, he says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they had left everything and followed him. <laughs> Peter left his greatest catch. They left everything behind. How does that translate to you and I? Not allowing anything to get in my way. Not allowing anything to hinder me following Jesus. Paul will say something similar. This is where we'll land right here. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Paul talks about the things that he used to be. Not just the bad things, but he's going to talk about the good things that he used to be. You think about the person of Paul. He was, he was an outstanding individual. He is an outstanding Jew. And he'll tell us that here in Philippians chapter 3 verse 4. He, there's these individuals that have this problem of prideful boasting in themselves. And so he brings that up and he says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone thinks he has reason or, conf or for confidence in the flesh, I have more. That's pretty impressive, right? Paul's saying, you think you can brag, buddy. Let me tell you about my criteria. Let me tell you about my resume. And he will. But he's doing it to make a point. He's not bragging on himself. Watch. He says, verse 5, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. That's a pretty good tribe. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. That's pretty great. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. No one can say he wasn't zealous for God, right? As a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. We talked about that today, too. But whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. These are good things, Paul says. These are bragworthy things of the world. You and I each, we all have something we can brag about for ourselves. Some of us might think the list is longer than it is. But we can brag certainly on ourselves a lot. And what Paul is saying is if it's not Christ, it doesn't matter. If it doesn't have to do with following Jesus, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. He says in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost for the sake of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Another way of saying that is manure. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Down in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Paul the Apostle, doing all these great things, writing all these great letters, converting all these people, he's saying, I'm not there yet, guys. How much more so you and I are not there then, perhaps. But he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but the one thing I do, 
people always do the one thing at any given time that's most important to them. And he says, the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. There can be good things in our lives. There can be bad things in our lives that could hinder us from following Jesus. And what our job is to do is to take an honest evaluation of those things. What in my life is stopping me from growing more? What in my life is stopping me from being a better Christian or perhaps hindering me, my ability to say, but at your word, and then obeying? If there is something, well, you find that out by taking an honest look at yourself. It ain't easy. It ain't easy to look in the mirror sometimes, but it's absolutely necessary to begin as a Christian and to grow as a Christian. You're never done. Never done. Paul says, I'm not perfect, and neither are we. We've got work to do. But you don't have to do it alone. And so if you're here this evening and you need encouragement in any way, let us know as we stand together and sing. Please be seated. <laughs> Is there anyone here tonight that needs to partake of the Lord's Supper? We have one in the back, too. Okay, if you will, let's turn to number page 51. <clears throat> page number 51, break thou the bread of life. Break now the bread of life, dear Lord, to me. As thou didst break the loaves beside the 
here. Show of hands again, please. Let us go to our Father in prayer. Father, as we approach your throne, thanking you, Lord, for this day and all the blessings you bestowed upon us. Thank you, Father, for this memorial service that we can reflect back to the cross and remember what you and your son did for us. We thankful, Father, for the body that was sacrificed on the cross and the blood that he shed that makes us perfect if we are faithful and obedient to the end. We ask you, Father, to bless these individuals who are about to partake of this unleavened bread that represents that body that hung on the cross. We pray, Father, that they will do so in a manner that is well-pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this day you've given us to come together and worship you. Lord, thank you for this fruit of the vine you've given us that represents the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. Be with those that take this, that they will do this in a manner well pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're also commanded by the Lord to give back as we have been prospered. Let us give thanks. Father in heaven, we're so thankful, Father, for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We're thankful, Father, for the blessings of health and that health that we use to do our jobs and be able to give back to you, Father as we have been prospered. We pray, Father, that, that you will bless us as we give back and we have cheerful hearts, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For convenience, we'll be in the...